I'm Melanie Sayward and you are tuning in to The Pink Elephant. Hi again and welcome to The Pink Elephant Podcast where we talk about the most undiscussed issue in the body of Christ today. That despite all we have, it can still feel like there is something missing in our faith. Now for you who are my loyal followers you might notice that my voice is a little bit croaky. Yes, I did have to delay the release of this episode because I completely lost my voice and uh, it's still hanging around. So hopefully uh, Joel, my uh, editing guy, can do something. But anyway, you're probably going to hear some croakiness. So this month's episode is one that I sadly have had way too much experience with. Not at all by choice. It just happens to be what God has wanted me to go through for the last 10-ish years. I would like to believe that my experience with it deems me an expert, but I still have many days where I can't handle the weight of this challenge. I'm talking about waiting. Waiting is not a topic we like. We really don't like waiting. We only learn about waiting because we have to. When we inevitably get to a season that gives us no choice but to wait, we desperately try to understand why. But more importantly, We want to know how we can get out of waiting. We want our breakthrough. I have to be careful not to get too cynical here, but the truth is if I wrote a book titled How to Get Your Breakthrough, I would probably be an overnight sensation. I say this to demonstrate how unwanted waiting is and how desperately we want to get past our waiting seasons. We presume that waiting stands in the way of the thing that God really wants us to experience but we demonstrate our misunderstanding of waiting when we're in such a rush to pass through this inevitable stage of life that has so much to give us in deepening our faith and enriching our relationship with God. There are a few different types of waiting and they all vary in how nuts they make us. There is the waiting where you have some idea of how long you must wait and precisely what you are waiting for. Like when your partner goes on a longer than usual work trip, it's definitely unpleasant But you can sustain yourself because you know the value of what you are waiting for and you can appropriately plan and occupy yourself for the time when you're waiting because it's specific. Another type of waiting increases in its unpleasantness. It's a type of waiting where you know what it is you wait for but you have no idea how long your season will be. You don't realise until you are in a season like this that having some kind of estimated time frame functions like the parameters of a building construction. The marked out area gives you some expectation of where you're going to build your house. It's kind of the same thing, right? So even if you can't start the construction process, you can visualize it and you can make plans around what you can picture. But when you have no time frame, it's like having no parameters. You don't know how to plan for this. This is the type of waiting that usually presents those deep-seated control issues that you don't really realize you have. Even the least controlling person has control-based survival mechanisms. They just aren't usually noticeable because they don't enforce them on others. But this is the season it's most likely to rear its ugly head because in this instance, it feels like the time is controlling you which in turn deems you completely out of control. And that's not a place we are very comfortable with. Now, if you think that's bad, the worst kind of waiting I have ever experienced is when you have no time frame and you have no idea what you are waiting for. 
Back in 2017, I got this incredible sense from God that my life was going to change and something big was coming. I had no idea what or when it would all unfold. And the fact is, I'm actually still on that path. This is by far the worst kind of waiting, especially if you aren't very busy or you already have nothing much going on. Admittedly, in this type of waiting season, because you don't know what is coming, you don't necessarily know the value of it, but not always. Usually with such anticipation, you know it's going to be huge and awesome, right? See, time and again, God would have us wait in this way because though a time frame would give us a sense of groundedness, the truth is God would desire that he be our foundation, not the time frame or the destination. So if you're in a situation where you've been waiting and waiting with no suggestive time frame and you've lost hope so many times you can't count, not only can I say that I understand and I empathize with you, but I also hope this episode brings you some healing. Now, we really can't talk about the topic of waiting without recognizing a few things about our modern times. Waiting is not something we are encouraged to do by the world. There really doesn't seem like there are any benefits to waiting, at least from the world's judgment. Firstly, the times change so quickly. So often, if you were to wait for something, you may just miss your opportunity to have what you desire. So consider the iPhone. If you were to work hard and put your pennies away to buy the newest iPhone outright, there's a good chance that by the time you get it, it's already out of date for some. Or what about buying a home? If you didn't take out a mortgage, it would probably take you a whole lifetime to save the whole value of a property. But the types of houses you were saving for probably wouldn't be in that price range anymore by the time you were ready to buy them. Secondly, we are often trying to fit in as much as we can in our limited time that we just don't really have the time to wait. Some of you parents out there literally don't even get 10 minutes alone in a day. So when some preacher on a Sunday tells you to soak in the presence of God and wait for the Lord's response, does that really feel achievable for you? Not at all, right? Thirdly, we have so many resources within reach that are specifically designed to minimize how long we must wait. Just consider credit cards. We have these little plastic rectangular objects that allow you to spend money you don't have. Now, I've had seasons where credit cards are the only thing getting me through. So I'm not actually against credit cards, right? Like when I'd had agonizing tooth pain, my credit cards saved me from months and months of agony, right? So I know credit cards aren't all bad. Again, I am just using this example to demonstrate that our relationship with waiting has changed significantly over the generations and our society in general doesn't encourage us to wait. So you were right to think that the odds are against us as Christians when we have to wait for God to act or wait for something to come to pass. It is truly hard to do. When we have been brought up in a culture that doesn't value waiting. And whilst we might believe we are different to the world, in this area of waiting, we are quite the same. We eat the food, we use the equipment, and we follow the systems that make us severely devalue waiting. 
If you don't believe me, consider these few areas that we are known to participate in and utilize. The greatest appeal of junk food is the fact that it is convenient. You can drive through a McDonald's and in around five minutes, you are shoveling food that would probably take you 30 minutes at a minimum to make. And almost every youth group I know has a McDonald's that they meet up at after the Friday night pack up. There are multitudes of weight loss products and services that promise to shed kilos quicker and more consistently than the age-old task of eating wholesome food and keeping active. Side note, I love when you meet someone and they've lost weight and the first question that someone asks like, is, how did you do it? As though there really is some other way of sidestepping the most obvious and effective health management system to ever exist, which is good food and activity. Anyway, after several conversations with Christian people, you will discover the various programs that Christians have signed up to in order to manage their weight. Keto, vegan, lap band surgery, intermittent fasting. There is an injection out there at the moment that is supposed to help diabetics lose weight with the purpose of reducing insulin intake, right? The drug has now been offered to those who simply want to lose weight. And they are sold out in Australia. So even the diabetics aren't getting it. Now, I'm not sure if Christians are using that injection just for weight loss. I'm just kind of ranting now, really. But look, I know some people do keto and vegan diets out of genuine concern for their health. But I also know that it can be inspired by a desire to lose weight quickly and sometimes without physical activity. And what about the internet? Not only is it so effective at sourcing information, it accesses it at any time of day immediately upon your request. And we Christians use the whatever out of the internet. Now, I'm not actually slagging on the internet, of course, because I love it. I've probably used it about 50 times just in the preparation of this. But I think you get my point. If we decided we wanted to become really good at waiting, we would have to reject literally everything in society. Okay, maybe I was just being a bit over the top there, but you get my point. I say all this not only to validate my earlier statements, but to provide you with some context as to why waiting seems so foreign to us today and why it seems so unbelievably hard to do. We may be the most waiting-averse generation the world has ever seen. And yet when we consider the various narratives within Scripture, waiting is a very common theme. Abraham waited for a son for about 40 years. David waited 15 years between being anointed as king and becoming king. Joseph waited 13 years till the dream came to pass. In all of these very well-known biblical examples, not only did they wait longer than what we consider to be reasonable these days, but they also had significant signs of going backward before going forward. In Joseph's case, he went backward about three times before immediately going forward, right? Waiting is not only inevitable. It's quite possibly the most critical aspect of the journey. It just may be equal in value and maybe in some cases more valuable than arriving at the place you desire to be. But again, we have not comprehended how deeply valuable waiting is and so we are going to go deeper now. So what is the value in waiting? What is the value in the passing of time? 
In scripture, waiting is more often than not coupled conceptually with the idea of hope. When you consider the various types of waiting I listed earlier, really what determines the severity of each is hope. When you have a time frame and clarity about what you are waiting for, it's easier to have hope. When you have no time frame and clarity, it's harder to sustain your hope, especially when the season starts to feel long. Once you hit the three-month mark, it's really hard to summon the hope and faith that this thing is going to come to pass. When you have no time frame and no clarity, having hope gets almost impossible. You may even start to deny it and therefore give up on waiting. We don't realize how critical hope is to our living and just how vulnerable it is when we have to wait. For believers, our waiting is supposed to be rooted in our hope in Jesus. We don't simply wait because we have to. We wait because we are confident of who Jesus is. He is our hope. David used such statements often. He said, my hope, Lord, is in you in Psalm 25 verse 21. We wait in hope for the Lord, Psalm 33, verse 20. My hope is in you, Psalm 39, verse 7. There's about 30 occasions in which David makes this kind of statement. Therefore, our ability to wait and how well we fare in that waiting is directly related to the degree of hope we actually have in him. This may give you some indication of why waiting has been so difficult. And if our ability to wait stems from the hope we have in God, then it stands to reason that the whole task of waiting and hoping is reliant on, firstly, having a deeply held personal conviction of God's character, and secondly, having our hope wholly and solely in Him alone. So let's just break this down. In the first instance, having a deeply held conviction of Jesus' character isn't referring to an intellectual acknowledgement of his character. You know, I too can rattle off the qualities of Jesus without thinking about the reality of those traits in the God that I seek and have given my life to. There is a big difference between having an awareness of someone and knowing someone. I've heard that Keanu Reeves is like this super nice guy. If you Google nicest guy in Hollywood, Keanu Reeves' name will appear time and again. But I don't know him personally and I can't validate whether this is true or not. Now, knowing Keanu Reeves personally, even if he is a nice guy, is not going to be critical to my own well-being. But how about knowing your own dad? Would it have been enough for me growing up to have known about my dad? Of course not. That is not going to make up for the chance of knowing him personally. This is validated societally and in research. Children without fathers are more likely to experience a whole set of challenges purely by being fatherless. Knowing about your father isn't enough. The same goes for God. We may know a whole bunch about him, but that's not what's going to make the difference in life. Knowing him personally is where the rubber hits the road. This is often what we are really trying to do when we read the word. We are forming a deep knowledge of who he is. I have hope in God because I know him as faithful. I've experienced his faithfulness firsthand. I know he is kind because I've experienced it. I've experienced his comfort and I am confident that he will be these things for me in the future and the hardships that may come my way because I already know them to be true. All of this 
personal experiences with his character make waiting easier. But waiting gets hard when I haven't experienced God in some light. For example, I know God as protector, but I can't say confidently that I've experienced him as my protector. And so when I put my hope in him through a season where I may need to know his protection, the waiting is all the more painful because my hope struggles to be grounded in the knowledge of a God who protects when I am personally not certain that he does. I sort of got a little bit tongue-tied there, didn't I? Anyway, waiting, therefore, is so critical to our relationship with God because it forces us to take stock of what we actually believe about him and not what we say we do. Do we know him as healer? Do we know him as our provision? Do we know him as our companion? Just like Peter, who declared Jesus as the Messiah, who we think he is makes all the difference. The second part I mentioned in the relationship between waiting and hope as seen in scripture is that it relies on us being vigilantly committed to God being our sole source of hope. How often have you started or heard someone start a sentence with, if only? I can tell you a few that I've heard, and I've probably said them too. If only I could get this promotion, people would take me more seriously. If only we had more money, we wouldn't be stressed. If only we were at a church that valued my particular spiritual gift, I would really be able to grow in my relationship with God. If only my husband spent less time working, we would have a better relationship. Now, here's the thing. In every one of those examples, there is an element of truth. There is a good chance that your relationship with your spouse would be improved by more time together. You probably would grow in your gifts if your church valued your spiritual gift. But what each of these statements demonstrate is that we are often more invested in circumstances we have decided needs to come to pass in order for us to experience the peace or the validation that we seek, which means that our hope isn't wholly and solely in Jesus. If we feel like people don't take us seriously and we want that to change, our hope is in Jesus to advocate for us. If you don't want to be stressed about finances, not only is Jesus your true provider, but he may just be allowing this challenge in an attempt to renew your mind about money. In all cases, God is likely to have a totally different method in mind for meeting your needs. That has been the case for me so many times, so, so many times. It's almost ridiculous. I genuinely try not to predict how something is going to happen anymore because I'm usually not right And I have learned that God is generally doing something new that I may not have the imagination for. So far, we've learned that waiting helps clarify what we really think about God and what we are truly putting our hope in. But there are actually so many other benefits to waiting. There are benefits that I'm sure you've heard about, like waiting builds your character or waiting prepares us for the destination. But there are ones that you probably haven't considered. Number one, Waiting teaches you the truth about time. Now, why would we need to learn about that? Well, we misunderstand many things about time. Here are some common terms that demonstrate how confused we are about time. Time management. Now, that's not really possible and hence why the industry has actually moved towards saying priority management. 
saving time, which obviously we can't do. You can't stockpile time. We don't have time, which is usually not exactly true. I can't wait any longer, which you usually can and have no choice but to. Time is money. Definitely not true and the reason why stay-at-home mums have not been valued in our society for a really long time. Time heals all wounds. Not really, it doesn't. Healing heals all wounds. Time just suppresses urgency. Just ask a parent who has had a miscarriage. Time doesn't necessarily take away the hurt. And I'm sure there are many more statements and terms that I'm just not aware of right now. We ultimately behave as though time is something we can manipulate because we realize that in our desire to progress and achieve, time is not really on our side. But the truth about time is that we all have the same amount of time in a day, of course, but we don't all have the same amount of time here on earth. Our desire to fit so much in is quite naive in that way. It's all one big reminder that we don't possess time. God does. Our methods of manipulating time can sometimes stem from the fallacy that we believe we can control time. There is no better a time to remind us of this fact than a season of waiting because we often literally cannot control how quickly we arrive at the end of it. But it is critical to our maturity that we understand that time cannot be controlled and it cannot be possessed. It is God's and it is a gift. Time is not a curse. Time is a gift. Even that fact alone could change how we live. Number two, waiting proves God's faithfulness. When we are going through a season of waiting, that is when we are most likely to doubt God's faithfulness. We can see this through the kinds of questions typically raised during a waiting season. Like for instance, has God forgotten about me? Why would God let someone go through this when he loves them? How many times would Joseph have felt forgotten about? And he was forgotten about many times by his fellow men. The cupbearer whom Joseph interpreted the dream for forgot about Joseph for two years. But God did not forget. It took 13 years before the dream God gave Joseph came to pass. And God was faithful to every detail. He did not forget. He was preparing the circumstances that every little detail might be brought exactly as it were meant to. It wasn't enough for Joseph to rule. God made sure that his brothers would bow down toward him as the dream described. Now, the impression I don't want to give you is that we should all be happy and joyful in our waiting because the Bible doesn't demonstrate that either. There is a lot of lamenting in the Bible. Like they lamented a lot and much of it in response to the waiting and uncertainty. David cries out constantly to God for the seasons he is going through. So the idea that God expects us to be silent in our pain is simply not correct. Waiting is painful. And furthermore, God absolutely wants to hear about it. He is not offended by our frustration with his plan. He just asks that we also remain faithful amidst the struggle. In other words, don't change course. Just keep going. Just get through it. So we have now arrived at that point in this podcast where we must ask this question. Why do we need to talk about this? What is missing? What will we find if we were to look deeper at this topic? that we haven't considered before. 
There are many ways in which we mimic our creator. Waiting is a really significant one. There is no person or identity that has waited longer than God. He waits patiently to perfectly orchestrate every detail for the benefit of us, not for himself. So not only does he wait more than anyone else, but he waits with complete selflessness. Just consider how long God has been waiting. Thousands of years had passed between Adam's sin and the establishment of the first covenant. Then there was a period of waiting again before the second covenant. And now he is in waiting to return to earth in the second coming, which we are already 2022 years into. So God has been waiting a long time. Now, maybe time is different to God. I don't know, since, you know, he's outside of time and space. But, you know, I'm sure he also experiences the flow and effect of time because he created time. How could he create something that he is no awareness? Look, you know what? I'm actually going down an analytical rabbit hole here. So why does God wait so long? That's a better question. That's what we really need to know. Because if he waits, it would stand to reason that his purposes for waiting are also partly ours. At least that's what he would intend. So in Genesis 15 verses 13 to 16, we get a pretty good idea of why God had the Israelite people wait for 400 years. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites were the inhabitants of the promised land. They were a perverse people. They were involved in ritual child sacrifice and incest, just to name a few. But God says that their sin had not reached a level that would force his hand to bring judgment yet. In other words, he was giving them time still to repent. Time and again through scripture, God has done this. In Revelations 2 verse 21, Jesus has been speaking to the church of Thyatira about the Jezebel in the church, but he explains that he hasn't intervened yet because he was giving her time to repent. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the apostle explains why Jesus has not yet returned. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is giving as much chances as he can for people to repent. This is the compassion and mercy of God. The part we miss when we are in our season of waiting is that our waiting may be for someone else's sake. Maybe our waiting is a little less about our own personal fulfillment and a lot more about the salvation and discipleship of many. Could we be more patient then? Because although he loves us and he calls us his beloved, this life is not about me and it's not about you either. It's about our God accomplishing his all-encompassing will, his self-sacrificial plan for the redemption of the whole earth. I'm not sure how our individual waiting fits into that, but it does. 
We have misunderstood the depths of his mercy and compassion if we think that he could afford to rush what demonstrates his intimate personal love for every individual in this world. Okay, look, I can hear the internal response, right? What about the suffering though? Does God really expect us to wait when we are suffering? Like the Israelites for 400 years, they were literally oppressed. I know that some people out there have been carrying health issues and problems that you have been waiting for a breakthrough on that causes you pain and hurt. I know I've been there myself. There is a promise in our suffering. It's a really big promise. No matter what we go through, God guarantees that he will heal and restore those who have hurt or lost something. It's painful, but he is faithful in comforting us, even when we think he isn't. It's much easier if you're open to that healing, but even if you aren't, he still finds ways to keep walking you toward healing. I've seen it time and again. And furthermore, if we are faithful to him despite our hardship, he promises greater resilience and a deeper relationship with him. There is essentially no end to the love that he lavishes on us, and especially so when we are enduring the darkest of seasons. But the opportunity for redemption is limited. God may have given numerous opportunities for both the Egyptians and the Amorites to repent, but once he dropped the gavel, you know, that thing that judges use, that was it. There was no going back on his word. And such is the way with God. He never does go back on his word. Having gone through some disillusionment with church, I have had times when I've wondered how God could have allowed a minister to continue hurting people the way they were, sometimes for years and years. But what I have realized is that God gives them a chance, often for longer than what we are comfortable with, because when he executes the consequences for their disobedience, there will be no turning back. So again, healing is always available, but the opportunity for repentance is limited. I hope this episode has comforted you and challenged you a little in your own journey of waiting. I know it's not going to answer every reason we go through a season of waiting, but I'm hoping that it's just helped you a bit. But I wanted to leave you with one last thought. In Luke 24 verse 49 Jesus says to the disciples that they are to wait in the city for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit was critical to the establishment of the church. So they had to stay in the city and wait for his arrival. They had no idea how long it would take. Jesus didn't tell them. They just had to stay put. Theologians believe it would have been between seven and ten days of waiting. Now, that may not sound like a lot in contrast to other characters in the Bible, but for a group of people who may have been eager to commence with preaching the gospel after seeing their very real and alive saviour, to be told to wait may have seemed counterintuitive. And they had no other immediate instruction. They were simply to wait and pray. Now, I've done an all-night prayer meeting, and believe me, it is hard work to sustain yourself physically. And they did this for seven to ten days. That is a really long time to be in a state of waiting and earnestly praying. But then the Holy Spirit comes and performs incredible, mighty acts that none of us could perform in our own strength. 
He sets this little gathering on fire. He empowers Peter to share one of the most powerful sermons we will ever hear, a totally unscripted sermon that he could not have planned and it was spoken by an unqualified fisherman. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And once the Holy Spirit starts, he can't be stopped. He begins what I call the Holy Spirit growth strategy. Most churches would presume that a growth rate of 7% per year is a great sign of a healthy growing church. That's what the experts say. But the Holy Spirit takes them from maybe 100 people to 3,100 people in one day. Then, after healing a man in chapter 3, the number goes up to 5,000. Again, in one day. And the Holy Spirit did so much more than this. He healed. He united the believers. He broke through prison walls. He gave powerful visions. The Holy Spirit was worth waiting for. All of us benefit. The whole earth benefits because they waited. The question I encourage you to ask yourself is, who might benefit because we waited? Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pink Elephant. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my resources on my website, meljsayward.com.